Welcome to another episode of the Why Hockey Periodical Podcast. It's just Matt L. tonight, but I've got a great guest to talk all about Spencer Knight because Panthers Twitter, what's left of it, hasn't already had enough of talking about Spencer Knight. Catherine Silverman of many places. Catherine, welcome to the show. First of all, uh, I want to go into journalistic journeys here just briefly before we talk about Spencer Knight for 45 minutes. Uh, you've been writing everywhere. I remember when you used to write about the Coyotes and now you're one of the go-to goalie experts in the world of hockey, which is cool. So how did you get there? Um, so, so I actually started with goalies, and uh, I I moved to Phoenix. Uh, oh, what year is it? It's 2019. So <laughs> going on four and I guess about four and a half years ago now, and worked with the Coyotes Hockey Development Department. I worked in their uh, in their youth coaching system, and after I had my daughter, I sort of moved over to writing full-time and not doing any coaching just you know it's kind of hard to have have an infant with you when you're coaching it made it easier for me to to be flexible and um I'd done some writing on the Coyotes in the past both for the team and for other sites I've written for for the Coyotes website and so you know when I switched over to doing just writing I ended up picking up some Coyotes beat too which uh is a lot of fun they're they're a surprisingly fun team to follow surprisingly fun team to cover I didn't know a ton about them other than, you know, what I knew from following the league in general, uh, before I, before I moved to Phoenix and, uh, they've, they've pleasantly surprised me. And I'm sure if this is a, this is a, a Panthers fan base here, I'm sure they, Panthers podcast. sure they, so sure they, about the Flyers, but we're not getting into that right now. Ooh, not today. <laughs> not, not, uh, not today. Yeah, Bob. I know, I know that's a, that's Panthers. another podcast where there will be 20 minutes on Tyler Pitlick. I can guarantee you. He's he's a nice guy, but but yeah, that that, that was a trade. Um, <laughs> it's a trade that happened. But yeah, I, uh, I'm sure Panthers fans are pretty familiar with you know the perception of fan bases versus the reality, and so that's it's very similar to uh to what happened with Arizona. I went there expecting it was going to be a small hockey market. It was going to be a pretty easy fan base to you know pretty easy fan base to interact with because they'd be so small and it's the the hockey atmosphere in phoenix is bigger than i thought it would be the the youth hockey presence is exponentially bigger than i thought it would be and the fans are much more numerous than i thought they were from an outsider's perspective so so it's been a lot of fun and that's that's how i've sort of ended up shifting to doing them as well um but yeah i actually started with goalies before that because i i play goalie and so that's when i coach that's what i coach and so that's that's how i ended up doing that as well but but yeah it all sort of simultaneously happened and uh shifted to doing more writing after i had a kid so that's that's how i got where i am right now the rise of my favorite thing in the world couch journalism which i'm a professed lover of because you don't have to do anything other than write and go to sleep and not have to go to anywhere I don't live in South Florida, but I've been to enough Panthers games. I've followed the Panthers for long enough to tell you. What you're saying about the Panthers is kind of similar to the Coyotes. I don't know in relation to the fan bases. But, uh, yeah, Panthers fans, it's an interesting it's an interesting existence when you when you cover the team that, that we do or I do. And the Coyotes are kind of similar. Uh, both halves of that awful loss in Krause trade. Anyway, again, something else we went into in detail on this podcast many years ago. We don't have to do it again. Uh, we have you, of course because we need to talk about Spencer Knight, and there are so many layers to this. I'm going to do my absolute best to not put my own opinion in on this podcast of what I think of the pick, because it's not particularly relevant to the discussion we have here, because 
I wrote about it, Rat Trick, you've seen it already. Steve Goldstein has responded to it, so clearly people have seen it, including people on the Panthers payroll. So I want to get into a lot of things about Spencer Knight because it is very rare. Not only do you see a goalie taken in the first round, you never mm -hmm. see one taken in the lottery. It's the first time in nine years a goalie's been taken in the lottery. So, Catherine, how did we get to a point where we went nine years without that happening and now suddenly we have it happening again? I think there were a couple factors there. Um, I know that, and and I feel very bad because ultimately he has panned out into a quality NHL goaltender. But I think Jack Campbell ended up uh, ended up kind of shying people away from that a little bit. Um, with a goaltender, you have such few spots in your lineup, you know, in your development system to really help them flush out into the player that they need to be, and so. In the Jack Campbell situation, he obviously was the last goaltender taken with, like you said, a lottery pick back in 2010, so nine years ago. Um, at the time, he was heralded as the next big thing for U.S. hockey, uh, the next big U.S. goalie, and um, really wasn't given the opportunity to develop his game, wasn't given a ton of leeway when it came to stumbling, wasn't really given a lot of leeway when it came to making mistakes and adjusting and when his save percentage wasn't good he was he was looked at really critically by fans by media I mean he was he was put in a pretty harsh spotlight as like you said the last goaltender that was really taken as the next big thing so he ended up obviously slipping through the Dallas Stars system for Panthers fans who aren't super familiar his numbers weren't great he dropped to the ECHL ended up a full-time ECHL goaltender lost all his confidence was picked up by the Kings because their development coach saw something in him, knew that he could work with him from a mental perspective too, from an emotional, a confidence perspective, brought him back up. He was the only good player on the LA Kings this past year. So, Correct. you know, he's back to an NHL. He was, he's back to an NHL caliber and a good one at that. But I think that GMs tend to be skittish about taking goaltenders in the first round. Anyway, there were a couple draft classes where I'll even admit the goaltenders weren't, particularly strong I mean we see it at every position there are some draft classes that just don't have that standout player and that's okay and uh that's kind of what we've seen from goaltending with a few of the classes last year I wouldn't have taken one in the first round at all obviously one wasn't taken in the first round so I definitely wouldn't have taken a lottery pick uh, a couple of years before that maybe Ilya Samsonov could have pulled it off but you know GMs were getting a little hesitant. They were getting a little cautious. So I think we saw them start to slip down a little bit. But Spencer Knight, as a player, has been playing above his age. He's been playing above his teammates' maturity levels. He's been playing. He was a 16-year-old on the U18 team. Um, he's He was obviously a 17-year-old playing against college kids this past year. Um, really looked not just confident but comfortable at every level he's played as one of the youngest guys on the ice so I think that that gave GMs the confidence to say okay maybe we're willing to risk it with this guy because that confidence issue that Jack Campbell did have is something that's very clearly lacking with Spencer Knight so I think they were a little bit more more comfortable with the idea of taking him higher than really these sort of almost almost safe picks that they've been making with goalies for the last few years so when you get into drafting goalies in the first round we're not even talking about lottery let's just go to goalies in the first round jake ottinger was a couple years ago i forget drafts that aren't panthers drafts basically at this point 
Uh, and you mentioned Ilya Samsonov. The last one that was taken in the teens was Andre Vasilevsky. Mm. And even then, I don't seem to remember much at the time about that pick because it was seven years ago. But when you draft goalies now in the first round, even then you have to be kind of pretty sure that you know what you're doing because I, I tried to get this right last minute or so after I was drafted. I don't think there's been a lottery pick that's won in net since Marc-Andre Fleury. Everybody else has been a second-round picker later because you don't need, as the NHL has proven now, to have a goalie like that drafted in the first round. You can kind of get around that. So when we talk about now with Knight and we talk about how goalies have been evaluated in recent years, because the Panthers haven't taken one in four years in the draft, and it was getting to a point where the Panthers had to take one because they were really deficient in their system in that area. What has goaltender scouting like been in the last few years? Because it's gone from very inexact science to it's better now, but it's not quite as good as we're getting with every other level of scouting, which seems to have improved pretty dramatically in the last half of this decade. Uh, you know, I think it's um, it's kind of interesting because you ask what, what the scouting scene looks like, and... Uh... Goaltending is one of those few positions that, I mean, there's there's only a few positions in hockey in general, but it's one of the few positions in, in sports in general where every team approaches it differently. And you have, you have a few teams, the New York Rangers are one of them, where their goalie coach is heavily involved in their scouting process and their decision-making and their opinion-giving. I know that the Arizona Coyotes are another team that does that. Their goaltending coach, Corey Schwab, is very heavily involved in their coaching decisions. I know that he talks to their management. Um, obviously, the Allaire brothers, uh, the one in New York, and, you know, there there was one in Car- in Colorado. Excuse me. He's gone now. He's retired. Um, I believe Jimmy Waite in, um, in Chicago is fairly involved in it. But then there are other teams where the coach isn't as involved. Um, and they have a specific goaltending scout. The Coyotes are a team that lets their coach stay involved, but they do have a goalie scout. I believe he's out on the East Coast. There are a couple other teams that have a specifically designated goaltending scout. Some of them have more than one. Um, Some teams have, for example, Sean Burke is a scout with the Montreal Canadiens, but he's not focused on goalies. He can just give his opinion when needed. Uh, And then there are other teams that really just leave it up to the generalized scouts. You know, they have... X number of scouts at the pro level, X number in Europe, X number for the amateurs, and those scouts are expected to combine their collective knowledge and essentially give their opinion on the goaltenders, and then management does with that what they will. So so it's still a pretty inexact science for the league as a whole. Some teams are obviously getting opinions from their analytics departments. Some teams are not. Um, but it's, it's moving in the right direction. I know that some of the teams have been looking at, at the analytics for goaltenders more. They've been looking at trying to figure out from an injury perspective, what the trends are like from the age perspective, what the trends are like. So, so it's, it's getting a little bit better, but it's still, like you said, it's, it's an inexact science and it's, it varies so much from team to team. So a team like the Panthers may not have had someone working in the goaltending scouting area specifically over the last couple years so they didn't want to do anything at the draft they may have seen the guys that they wanted going too high you know there there are all sorts of different situations because there are really only 20 to 30 goaltenders taken per year out of what 200 and 
seventeen, give or mm-hmm. take. Players taken every year. Now it's two hundred and seventeen. Was two ten, and it will be two twenty four in two years. Um, for the Panthers, as you all know, Rob Tallis is the goaltending coach. For all of you out there in the Y Hockey universe, you know this because he's the only consistent staff member in the Florida Panthers, as they've gone through <laughs> ten thousand coaches this decade. Uh, you know that they also have. Our friends Canucks Army doing a lot of draft work. I don't know, because it's been so long since I paid attention to the ins and outs of PCS, how it evaluates goaltending. That's something that we can ask another time in another place. But when I look at the Panthers, it just did, from a goaltending perspective, after they traded for Roberto Luongo, they didn't really do much because it's Luongo. And Roberto Luongo is sacrosanct in Florida and for obvious reasons because he's probably the best player in franchise history, at least for now. Give it two years, and then it'll probably be Sasha Barkov. But then they signed James Reimer. I understood why they did it at the time they did it, but it wasn't probably the right move. Certainly not for the right goalie, and they're trying to get rid of him now. Sam Montembeau they drafted in 2015. They had some high hopes for. He had his ups and downs. This year, Tommy and I have yelled about that repeatedly on this podcast, and now they draft Spencer Knight with a lottery pick. So the Panthers' goaltending situation is always weird. And so when I when you look at Spencer Knight, what – stands out specifically in his skill set that jumps off the page from, okay, he's a pretty good goalie. We might take in the back end of the first round too. Oh, some teams have him as a top 10 prospect overall and a decent draft year. You know, that's, that's a really good question. Um, I think that what separates him from the other first round goalies isn't necessarily any particular skill set that he has. It's not, you know, his agility or his reaction timing or his his tracking or his movement or his size it's it's his adaptability like i said he's been playing in the us development system obviously the u18 team plays against a handful of college teams each year they play an ncaa schedule sort of an ncaa circuit and then they play ushl teams as well and whether he was playing at the international level at the world juniors whether he was playing USHL teams playing scrimmages with the U.S. development program or playing NCAA teams. He looked equally confident in his ability to read the pace of the game, to read the flow of the game, to read the reaction timings, the speeds of not just the skaters, but the shots and the decision-making from his opponents, not just his teammates, but his opponents. And that, I think, is hugely crucial when it comes to goaltending. We see a lot of guys who may have a really good technical skill set, but when they make the jump from, say, the WHL to the AHL or from the AHL to the NHL, there's a bit of a lag in their ability to adjust to the new pace of play around them, to how clean shots are, how quickly decisions are made, how many options a shooter may have you know you see guys that are in the ahl who may have the same speed shot as a guy in the nhl but they only have two or three options in their arsenal for where they're going to shoot whereas an nhl guy may have three to five options so that that adjustment period is really one of those things that i think most goalies have and most goalies need but we haven't really seen spencer knight need it you know we've seen him do incredibly well just moving from league to league. And that's something that I think is rare. I think it's unique. And I think it gives the GMs the confidence to say that he's a lottery pick. You know, it gives them the confidence to say, we're willing to use a really high pick 
to get this guy because it looks like he's going to pan out no matter what level he's playing at. And so for me, that's, that's really the biggest thing. I love the introduction of your daughter to this podcast, too. That was great. She's very interested in Spencer Knight as she, well. <laughs> she, she makes an appearance on just about every podcast and radio show I do at least once, where she just slides over, tells me she needs more snacks. I give them to her, and then she, like, silently melts away again. She's not even in the room anymore. Well, you know, But, yeah, she made sure important. we knew. Spencer Knight's an important topic, but I'm glad you've prepared for this because you, you handle that like a pro. I can't do that. <laughs> I've long lost my train of thought and podcast when I'm recording and something else is going on because you can't really pay attention to things such of that nature. It's crazy how well you did there. I Bravo to you. That is amazing skill. I wish I had that as a podcast host who's done podcasting for four years on a random amount of different subjects. Uh, can I ask this question? And, and if I'm off base, you can interrupt me at any time. One of the things that my co-host Tommy has said about why, and this was in general talking about the players from the U.S. development program in this particular draft, why he was nervous about taking them is because he likened it, and I kind of added the logical step, which is that he, with a team with eight first-round picks, which is what this U.S. team had, which is insane, they, and they're playing against some college, but mostly USHL opposition. He said, I don't know how good the competition that they're playing is, so I don't know what kind of level they're really capable of playing at, because... They're playing on the Harlem Globetrotters, and sometimes you might be playing the Washington Generals, which is how I likened it. And that's why he was a little bit skittish on some other U.S. development team prospects, not necessarily Spencer Knight. Is that an issue that you would think of when you're evaluating a goaltender? Like, he's playing on such a good team and such a good age group, and particularly this U.S. team with eight first-round picks is something that you think about, even though you're playing college opposition, but other times you're playing USL opposition, which is not nearly going to be as good as maybe what Spencer Knight could be capable of playing. Is that an issue, the level of competition, and not just that, the kind of team a goalie's playing behind? Does it make it harder to evaluate what the goalie is really able to do? Uh, I think in some cases it can be. For example, there's there's a goaltender that was taken this year by the Chicago Blackhawks, um, Dominic Bass, who has been playing essentially at a lower level than everyone else because he's been playing – in the uh he's been playing in maryland for a high school hockey team and so he's been playing in a state that doesn't have a particularly well flushed out high school development program and uh that's that's a concern for a guy like him and i think that's why even though he has good numbers he was taken in one of the later rounds but when it comes to the u.s development program the ushl guys for the most part are on a track where they're going to be heading to the ncaa so even though there's a variance in the types of teams that the development program plays. They do play. Sometimes they play some NAHL games. They play some USHL. They play some NCAA. Most of the kids that they're playing against are headed in the same track that they are, which is headed from the U.S. development program to the NCAA. For the most part, the other kids that they're playing against are doing the same thing. They're also headed for NCAA tracks. So, with some kids, there's a chance that you're not going to be seeing the same numbers when they head to the NCAA. You're going to be seeing the numbers take a massive dip. But when when you're really concerned about that, it's easier to just go through and look at which teams they've played against. You know, you see Spencer Knight versus Cameron Rowe, and you go and you look and see at which teams each of them played. And you say, okay, this one was playing more of the lower caliber teams. This one was playing 
the NCAA teams, and it's not as much of a concern. Do you think there's something in what Tommy was saying about how he's playing behind a team with eight first-round picks, and though there are NCAA-quality players who they're playing against in the USHL and obviously NCAA teams, it's different because not very times uh, in this evaluation process you're playing against a goalie, you know, you're playing behind a team, I should say, where you have seven other first-round picks at the same time on the same roster. It's very, very unique, and it was something that he was concerned about with other prospects, as I said. It wasn't necessarily referring to Knight himself, but it's something that I think is worth asking if it's a part of the evaluation process. Does it skew the results a little bit because he's playing basically on an all-star team? I think it can screw the results or skew them. Sorry. It can skew the results a little bit for some of the guys. Um, obviously there are some guys who are going to see their numbers falsely inflated because they're playing on a line with, you know, Austin Matthews and Jack Hughes. Um, but for the most part, there's also a lack of familiarity for some of the guys, you know, obviously a hand, a small handful of them will have played together on other teams as well. But for the most part, these guys are playing essentially for a team that's compiled of, like you said, a bunch of first round picks, a bunch of kids who are expecting to be the star. So ultimately you can see a team that's made up of guys like that and they don't do very well because they lack the the cohesion, they lack the ability to read each other, they lack a really good chemistry. And so getting these 17 and 18 year olds to communicate correctly and to learn to work together, even though they're all considered star caliber players is, is difficult in its own right. I mean, you don't have to look much farther than the Edmonton Oilers to realize that a team of all-stars does not necessarily mean that it's going to be a good team. So uh, every chance we get to dump on the Oilers, let's just do that. That's fun. I feel a little bad for that, but no, you shouldn't. <laughs> you shouldn't hear the things we've said about the Panthers on this podcast, by the way, at least the Oilers have won a playoff series this decade. So whatever you want to say about the Oilers, the Panthers are also far, no, I wouldn't say worse run, but they're, you know, they still exist and nobody pays attention to them because the Florida Panthers, but Continue on with that thought. But yeah, that's 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 really for me. Um, that's the thing that I would be concerned with the most is the issue of whether or not these players will be able to work together particularly well. And obviously, you know, you're playing against lower quality of competition, but you're not necessarily being given complimentary teammates. Like you, you know, there, there may be seven first round picks on a team, but th- you know, they may have four really good centers and no really good power forward winger. And so you really have to, you have to work with the talent that you're given on that team. And so if the, if, if the U.S. development program is able to produce good players and good numbers, if a player on that team produces good numbers, then ultimately I think it's usually a pretty good bet. Okay, because when you think about a team with eight first-round picks, that just does not happen. And so, especially considering how weird the U.S. development team is as opposed to your average junior team in Canada or your average USHL team or even a high school team. And that's something that he brought up. And it's interesting with Spencer Knight because you see his numbers and you see some of them and you go, oh, well, that's not as spectacular as I thought they'd be. But I haven't watched Spencer Knight play all that much outside of the World Juniors. And 
I, the World Juniors are very far back in my memory now. Uh, so let's talk about Spencer Knight himself, because we've talked a lot about the periphery, about drafting goalies and scouting goalies. Let's actually talk about Spencer Knight as a goalie. So if there is a comparison to be made of an NHL goalie, and you hate doing this because if you're doing it on NBC, Cole Caulfield might be compared to Lionel Messi, which was probably the stupidest thing I've ever seen, at least on Friday. Give it the weekend and maybe I've seen something stupider, but that was incredibly dumb. So if we're comparing uh, Spencer Knight to a goalie in the NHL, current or historic, what's the best approximation of his skill set now and what he could be? Um, it's it's kind of tough because, like you said, there there's a difficulty in making these comparisons, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that he's still an 18 year old kid, you know, his, his game is going to continue developing. He, uh, one of his biggest strengths is his puck handling. Um, he's got, he's got fantastic control of the puck, fantastic ability to read what's going on around him. You know, he doesn't necessarily make poor puck plays in the wrong, at the wrong time, but he's not an overly active goaltender when it comes to leaving his crease he really only leaves to play what you're saying he's not yes that's that's i'm glad you got that from what i was describing because i didn't want to attack mike smith today we're having a positive day but (laughs) no he is not mike smith um but he i i guess a good comparison would be Corey crawford that's a guy who's got a really underrated puck handling game but doesn't overuse it isn't overly aggressive when it comes to his depth management pretty decent tracker not overly flexible you know he's not jonathan quick or anything he doesn't have this crazy wide butterfly but he stays within his posts he does a good job of managing his depth when the opposition is approaching he does a good job of tracking playing his posts that's that's the kind of game that spencer knight plays it's an underrated puck handling game but for the most part he's a good decision maker when it comes to using that skill set he doesn't overuse it he doesn't try to skate too much He's not overly aggressive with his depth, um, and he's not—he's not an overly agile goalie. You know, he's not—he's not a guy who should be concerned about his agility. There are a couple guys that have been drafted in the last few years who you have to—you have to be a little concerned with their development when it comes to their mobility and their lateral movement. That's not the case with Spencer Knight, but he's not Thatcher Demko. He's not Jonathan Quick. He's—he's he's just an average quality goaltender that's a really really bland way to sum it up but yeah he's he's smart like as in you're saying like he doesn't do one thing spectacularly well but he does all of them pretty well yes i and he's the, the biggest thing is that he's smart about it he doesn't overuse anything in particular and he's had a few moments where he's been a little too flashy with his puck handling i know a lot of people saw he did this crazy spinorama move during, I believe it was one of the U.S. tournaments. Um, but for the most part, he's not doing anything Mike Smithy. He's not uh, he's not doing anything Jonathan Quickie. He's not doing anything Ben Bishopy, where he comes flying out of his crease, mm-hmm. out to the faceoff dot, and slides all the way to the blue line. So you know he's not he's not doing anything that makes his team nervous, and he's not doing anything that makes fans nervous. And that's that's an underrated thing for a guy his age. It's definitely underrated when you watch the Panthers, who clearly at times didn't trust their goaltender last year, and for good reason, because it was very, very bad. Uh, So when you look now at Knight's development going forward, for all these skills to be an 18-year-old goal is incredibly impressive. He's an April birthday, so he's very young. 
and you now look at where he's going to be. He's already played at a World Junior team. He's going to be at Boston College, who have produced good goaltenders. Joseph Wall, I think, was the last one. I, I don't pay much attention to college hockey because the school I went to didn't play it. So am I right about that? Um, I'm sorry. Was this specifically for Boston College? Yeah, but for BC. Yes. Where he's going. Just, Joseph Wall, is a, he actually just signed his pro deal at the end of the season, so he'll be gone, and Spencer Knight will really just sort of be sliding into his place here. They, he, they, Boston College wasn't very good last year. I see. No, so they were they were good out of conference. They were very bad in conference. Oh, I know what that's like. Or vice versa. It was it was one or the other. They were like they went on some sort of historic losing streak. But yeah, they were they were a mediocre team in front of their goaltender. They came through ASU. They came through Phoenix. They played at Gila River. I got to watch them playing. Joseph Wall was head and shoulders above the rest of the team in terms of his preparedness for the game, and they still lost both games, so, um, which should sum up how, how he handled things. He did, he did remarkably well, and they still lost games. So what does that mean, then, if a Panthers fan is going to start watching Boston College games? They might have done that for Mike Matheson and Ian McCaution in the past, but now they have to pick up doing it again because Spencer Knight is there. What, then, does the team... Be, I mean, we've seen what happens when teams are not very good in front of goalies because Roberto Luongo used to have to do that in Florida all the time when he'd be the best player on the ice by 10,000 yards uh, with a horrific Panthers team in front of him and he'd just steal the show. Uh, is that what we're going to expect from Spencer Knight at least next year outside of the World Junior team, which is another animal? But is that kind of what the expectation is for Spencer Knight next year? Like he might be the best player on Boston College? It's possible he's got a couple other good players that are headed there. Alex Newhook, he's a center. Uh, he's Alex Newhook's one of the players who, yeah, we just got another another appearance from, from my kiddo here. But, yeah, Alex Newhook's a Colorado Avalanche draft pick. He's supposed to be fantastic. He's a center. He's headed for Boston College. I believe Matthew Boldy's also headed there. It's another quality player who's going to be bolstering their team. Um, they, they might take a step forward this year. It's entirely possible. Um, but... For, for the most part, I think they – I and I will say this. I think that Spencer Knight is a better goaltender than Joseph Wall. So there's a very good chance that, you know, they were losing games 2 nothing or 3 nothing with um with Joseph Wall. They could end up winning some games. You know, if they get just a few goals here and there from Boldy and, uh, and Newhook, there's a chance that they're going to end up winning those games that they lost last year. And that can make all the difference in the world with the record. So – there's, there's a very good chance that Panthers fans are going to see Spencer Knight winning games. But if they don't, you know, if they end up losing games, I would just tell them to take a look at the save percentage. That's That was the case with Joseph Wall last year. You know, they weren't winning games. It was frustrating, but his numbers were very good. And so I know that Toronto fans weren't particularly worried about it because they saw that he was still performing well, even if the team wasn't. So that's 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 really the best advice I'd give them. So when you look at watching him play, just from a, from a scout's perspective, more from your eyes as opposed to just the general fan eyes who's going to say, hey, hey, he made a flashy save. He didn't let in these terrible goals. What do you look for when you watch Knight play next year, not just at BC, but almost 100% unless he's hurt, he's going to be the star at the World Juniors again. So what do you look for in these games from a scout's perspective? See, is he improving his game? Is he taking things to the next level? Is he developing the way that a goalie should be developing, let alone a goalie of his caliber be developing? Uh, I would I would take a look at the tracking. Um, his tracking wasn't 
bad this past year, but I would say that it was still one of the weaker areas in his game. Um, those flashy saves that you're mentioning, he doesn't make a ton of those. He's he's a quieter goaltender. He's a more controlled goaltender. And I think that possibly one thing that he could stand to continue developing is his ability to relax a little bit. I know that I want to say it was three or four years ago, Ben Scrivens, former Edmonton Oilers legend, um, Ben Scrivens wrote a piece for the Players' Tribune talking about how it's kind of an underrated ability of goaltenders to be able to throw caution to the wind and throw out their technique and make those desperation saves. That's something that some goaltenders, you know, they grapple with. They grapple with telling their minds, throw away what you know and just try to stop the puck. And I think that Spencer Knight could loosen up a little bit at times. And if, you know, you see him making a few of those desperation technique devoid saves because sometimes you have to make those sometimes no matter how good you are the team in front of you collapses a player comes out of nowhere you know you end up in a position where playing with technique is not going to win you the game and so I think that seeing him play a little bit more relaxed seeing his tracking improve a little bit seeing him continue to put up consistent numbers I think those are really the things to look for this upcoming year I realized as we were having this discussion, I might have to have Ryan Lambert on the show to talk about Boston College hockey next year because of Spencer Knight. And I ate dinner a little bit ago. Wonder how well that's going to sit now after I thought about that, like Ryan Lambert, but, you know, had to get that one in. Uh, when we talk about goalie development from being drafted to getting to the National Hockey League, it is not linear, particularly with the Panthers, who really haven't developed a good homegrown goaltender maybe ever. I mean, if the best is Jacob Markstrom, he was make-weight in the Luongo deal, and he's only now starting to become a goalie of decent repute in the National Hockey League for a less-than-okay Vancouver team. Uh, and Sam Mottenbow, I'll get to that in a bit. But for a goalie like Spencer Knight, my immediate thought is, if you're taking him 13th overall, then you're assuming that the timeline's accelerated for his development, just a little bit compared to the average goalie. And I'm going to use Mottenbow as an example because it's the most recent one for the Panthers. He... Had his two years in junior, then he played in the AHL, and he only now started to get NHL game time this year, and that was out of complete desperation. The Panthers didn't want to do that. And that's three and a half years. So what should then, as Panthers fans, be expecting for a development time for somebody like Spencer Knight? Because we haven't seen a goalie drafted this high, and therefore the expectations for a pathway to develop goalies is going to be different compared to somebody drafted in, say, the third round. I would I would say... Uh... When it, when it comes to him, if he wants to be one and done, you know, if he wants to play one year in college and then move to the AHL, in theory, I think he could. He could survive. I think it would be better for the team if he played two years of college just to, you know, really make sure that he experiences all situations, that he's not rushed. Like I said, Jack Campbell, that was the biggest issue is he was touted so highly that he wasn't given any any time to breathe and any time to grow on his own. And so I think that that's something that when it, when it comes to Spencer Knight really needs to be considered as, you know, give him two years in college instead of just one, let him grow, let him make his mistakes, let him develop his game consistently. And then he could even use a year in the AHL. It's not like it would be a bad thing for him. Uh, he could potentially do what uh, what Carter Hart did this year in Philadelphia. He 
came to, you know, he came to the pros. He played a chunk of the season in the AHL and then was moved up to the NHL out of necessity and ended up doing quite well with it. But I think that's something that if you gave Spencer Knight half a year in the AHL and then moved him up, I think it would work for him. Um, if he needed a full year in the AHL, I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. But I'd say we're probably two to three years out from seeing him. But uh, obviously, you know, if uh, if the Panthers end up getting Bobrovsky in the next couple of days here, that actually situates them pretty well, I think. You know, if you get a couple years of Bobrovsky and then you get Bobrovsky and Spencer Knight on an ELC, which is obviously a very cost-controlled deal, you end up with a fantastic tandem at a pretty reasonable price. So, so that's what I would ideally like to see. The other will not be. Yeah, but combined, it makes a pretty good deal. It's not as bad as you fear. But that that was the thing that I thought about when you saw them draft Knight, and I'm pretty much almost sure they're going to get Bobrovsky. That's not any intel. That's me thinking they're going to pay him more than everybody else, and they're going to take advantage of that. the opportunity that they are the team that needs a goalie the most out of everybody on the free agent market. Bobrovsky is going to be, I think, 31 when the season starts. I would think the Panthers are going to give him a seven-year contract. So if we're talking about a three-year development timeline for Spencer Knight, and I'm going to assume he gets a full year in the AHL, and leaving what I think about the Springfield Thunderbirds aside, because Tommy and I have had thoughts about the Springfield Thunderbirds, if that's three years, you still got four years left on a Bobrovsky contract at the point when Spencer Knight would be perhaps an NHL goaltender. How... That's, that was me the biggest – one of the many issues I had with the pick was that dynamic of like, well, if you've got Knight being that good after three years, and I agree with you on the two years in college and then probably one year in the A, it's that dynamic that I always like have said, I really don't want a $10 million backup goalie. And now that you've drafted Spencer Knight, at some point, if you sign Bobrovsky, we might get to a $10 million backup goalie situation, which is bad, even if the cap goes up. It's a dicey thing. And is and Spencer Knight, if you're taking him 13th overall, right, he should be good enough to force their hand. And I've also said that there's a three-year cup window to win because of Barkoff, and they, they all play into that little dynamic here. But that was why I one of the reasons why I didn't like sending Knight when they took him because of, again, you're going to sign Bobrovsky and you're going to give him seven years. There's some interesting dynamics in there too. So in terms of you, like, what is Spencer Knight's ceiling? How good can he be? Because we've heard people say he's the best goalie prospect of Carey Price. That's a very high level of praise. Uh, we have seen plenty of goalies come out of nowhere and do incredibly well and win Stanley Cups. Jordan Bennington, Matt Murray were two of those. So Spencer Knight is very different than that and is on a very different path and comes with very different expectations. So what is his ceiling, do you think, from your expert opinion, and what should his ceiling be? I think his ceiling is probably an NHL starter, for sure. Um, but I think that the way that we view NHL starters has to change. And we're seeing it already. Uh, in the last handful of years, I know that Cole Anderson, uh, I believe he's Ice Cole Data on, on Twitter. He does crowd scout sports. He does a lot of goaltending analytics. He came to the Goalie Guild, had a goaltending retreat in Breckenridge, Colorado last month at the that end of May. That sounds spectacular. It was pretty neat. Amazing. <laughs> and, uh, and, and Cole ended up doing a presentation on ways to present data for goaltenders that really gives us an idea of the goaltending landscape right now. He showed injury trends, he showed age trends, and he showed starter and usage trends. And that's the one that I think is really important because 
the way that the starter and usage trends were looking, teams are becoming more cognizant of the fact that when you play a goaltender with the style that they play now, with the athleticism that they have, with the demand of the game and the physicality, if you play them over 60 games a year, they're going to get hurt and you're going to shorten their window of longevity by a good bit. And so I'd say over the last four to five years really is when we've started to see teams drop off on the percentage of time that their quote unquote starter has spent in that, you know, we've seen teams stop using starters on both back on both games in a back to back. The only team that really even considers doing something like that anymore is Toronto. We're seeing teams split up games when they have two really difficult teams to play against. We're seeing them go one and two, really. Once again, the only team that hasn't been doing that has been Toronto. We've seen we've seen the fatigue that it's you know that it's showing for Freddie Anderson. There's a reason that they haven't made it very far in the postseason the last handful of years. If you look at the teams that have been making it far, Boston, St. Louis, the Islanders made it pretty far. Dallas the Hurricanes made too. it pretty far. Dallas, exactly. Those are teams that played almost a 50-50 split. And the Kings played a pretty decent split. Both of their goaltenders did a little... I mean, Jack Campbell did a lot better than expected. Jonathan Quick, I think, did a little bit better than I expected him to. Um, you look at how Vancouver, their goaltenders, have been having pretty decent seasons. Jacob Markstrom, when given the proper amount of rest, has been doing well. When Craig Anderson is given some rest in Ottawa when he's not being played every game, he does pretty well. So ultimately, and then once again, you know, I brought up Freddie Anderson, but you look at what happened with Andre Vasilevsky. That's another team that really drove their starter into the ground and they didn't make it very far. Whereas when the Capitals won the Stanley Cup, it was almost entirely Philip Grubauer down the backstretch, giving their starter a rest, really splitting up the games more evenly. And then, going from there in the postseason. And I think that that's something that we have to take into account when looking towards the future for the Panthers. You know, you say the team doesn't want a $10 million backup. I don't think backup will necessarily be the right word for Bobrovsky at that point. I think it'll be a 1A, 1B tandem. And that's that's not a bad thing. You know, you want to have two very good goalies on your team. So when it comes to the dynamic, I think... In theory, yes, Spencer Knight could force their hand, but I don't necessarily think that he'll want to. Obviously, every time we talk to goaltenders, they say, yes, I want to play every game. I want to play as much as I can. I want to win for my team. But they're becoming aware of how to take care of their bodies and how to manage their games correctly and how to manage their workload and their practice load. So ultimately it's in his best interest as well to play a more even split of the games. And it's not hurting him. Obviously this year, two of the three finalists for the Vesna were guys who only played 48 or so games. It didn't hurt their chances and it's going to hurt their chances less and less in coming years. So it's not going to hurt his career to play a more even split. And so I don't necessarily think that he will force their hand. Well, it so, is the Panthers, and you have to understand that they don't think the way that other teams do, or at least I think they don't think the way that other teams do. Because I remember how they burnt Roberto Luongo into the ground, not just 17-18, when he was the only thing about that team that was keeping them above water, but 15-16 when they burnt him into the ground and they made the playoffs, but that's all that happened. 
and that's what I think about when I think of the Panthers. It's just like, do I trust them to do these things correctly? Because they don't develop the goalies the way that I would hope that they would develop them. Uh, there, there's another question, I think, then, for Spencer Knight is, then, if his ceiling is an NHL starter, do you think it should be higher? Because if you're drafting a goalie that high, if you're drafting a player 13th overall, your expectation of him is different than somebody you're drafting 50th overall, for instance. Do you think it should be different in terms of those expectations for Spencer Knight? Because, I mean, I'm not even thinking necessarily in the goaltending world, because those are, it's a very different place than the average fan world. And we're not talking the most complex fan base in Florida. It's about winning and not losing. So what then do you think about those expectations? Do you think that they're going to be appropriate for Spencer Knight when we get there? Because, you know, Panthers fans are going to want a lot more from somebody drafted 13th overall as opposed to, you know, Sam Montenbeau, a third-round pick. Uh, I'm not sure. And, and honestly, I think the biggest thing is you mentioned that the Panthers management has not handled things the way that other teams do. But well, we do I, have to remember. That, I'm sorry to interrupt. I think they haven't. I mean, we, we, we can yell and scream about Sam Ombo, Tommy and I, all the time. I, I don't think they've handled it very well. Now, I don't know what their plan is, because last year I think they planned on playing Reimer more, but then Bob Bugner said, I can't, he's that bad, and then it all went to hell. I don't know what it's going to be like with Joel Quenville. I'm assuming it's going to be better because he's a far better coach. But this is the Panthers' history. I'm scarred by having watched them and thinking – they're probably not going to do it right unless they fall into it. That's all that I'm saying. And I think some Panthers fans are probably feeling the same way. And, there, and there's a chance that that's true. But it's one of those situations where ultimately we are, I think, at the very least three years out from seeing Spencer Knight in the NHL. And so there's a lot of turnover, essentially, that can happen with management, with coaching, with ideology, with front office staff, even with ownership. When it comes to teams over a three-year period, it seems like that's not a particularly long time, but we do have to remember that very few teams this year had the same coach that they did two years ago. There are very few coaches that last more than three or four years, and there are very few general managers that last a long time. So, Except Dale Talon. <laughs> except for him <laughs> because well they tried to fire him multiple times and as we have told you on this podcast they couldn't fire him it's amazing he's like he Rasputin. just, keeps, he he just like, keeps coming back he's like rasputin or or a boomerang oh no actually oh again that's a discussion for another day and maybe it changes but i again i'm scarred by the panthers development of goaltenders speaking of that i want to get to sam Ombo, but i want to ask you a question actually because one of the places i've looked at goalie information because i know less about goalies than i do about the rest of the sport and i don't claim to be anywhere near as smart as a lot of the people who cover this sport and we've gotten a lot smarter as a hockey fandom now than we were when i really started paying attention to this sport when i was you know a few years younger uh the best place that i've looked at in just terms of analytics is sean tierney's heat maps or the best way I could describe them, the heat maps. Do you like those? Because I, I understand them. They're very easily presentable. And I think they're the most, maybe a diet version of the best goalie analytics, which are obviously still in development in many ways. But what, what do you think about those? Because that came up when I was, uh, was talking about and analytics, especially when it comes to goaltending. I think that we, we hear from a lot of players who are still kind of resistant to the idea of talking about analytics. One of the big things that they love to spout is, analytics are only a piece of the puzzle and they love to you know just 
continue to beat that idea into the ground. And it can get a little aggravating when we hear it about skaters. But I think it's especially true with goaltenders. And there is no one analytic or presentation of data that I think does accurately depict a goaltender. One of the good things about heat maps, um, obviously, is that depending on which heat map you're looking at, whether it's the shots faced or it's the saves and goals, you know, you can you can alter your heat maps to show the percentage of goals that are coming from certain area, and you can do some that are percentage of shots from certain areas. And both of those, I think, are pretty valuable, but they lack contextual knowledge, essentially. They lack pre-shot movement, they lack passing, and they lack zone entries. So they're missing a big piece of the puzzle to me that you don't end up seeing really in any data right now. So, so I think that they do still leave something out, um, but they are, I think they're useful at the very least for a coach to consider because it shows which areas of the ice you need to go back and look at more film and say, okay, this goaltender has faced the most shots in this particular area. If you're the defensive coach, you go back and you look at all those shots to see what's breaking down. You know, is it preventing passes? Is it clearing up the neutral zone? You know, whatever it is that's that's clearly failing. And when it comes to the goals, the goalie coach can say, okay, you've allowed, you know, 20% of your shots from this particular area let's go back and take a look at all of those shots and goals and see what you're doing consistently there that's not working for you. So so I think that those are good coaching tools, but I don't necessarily know if they're our best evaluation tools right now. I still think that ultimately, as, as bad as it is, I still think that save percentage is, is a good way to evaluate our goaltenders. Unless you're the Panthers, in which case you might look at the film and then the same thing happened over and over again. I'm sorry I had to say it because I was so burnt out by that last year. Um, can I ask about Sam Montembeau? Because that's another interesting topic amongst Panthers fans, certainly amongst Tommy and myself, my co-host. We talk about him a lot, and we expected that he might be more than he may end up being or certainly was because I don't think that down the stretch last year the Panthers treated him with any sort of respect and dignity especially there was a game in Montreal, which I thought was a complete embarrassment and a joke. Uh, what do you think about him? Because I think he has the potential to be good. Maybe now that he's playing in front uh, or behind a team that will actually be coached, as opposed to one that was coached by Jack Capuano, as opposed to what is the case now. Uh, what do you think about him? And what do you think like, his ceiling could be? Because I think he could be a good backup this year, because I'm assuming Luongo is going to end up going into Robida Island LTIR. They're going to move on from Reimer. I'm still predicting they're going to sign Bobrovsky. Uh, so what do you think about Montembeau and uh, where he is and what he could be? Um, I think that he's got – I think that he definitely has the potential to be a backup goaltender. I talked to him a couple years back when he was still playing in the QMJHL. And for me, the biggest thing that I think a lot of people didn't necessarily consider is the QMJHL has – kind of an erratic quality of competition it's it's a league that tends to have some very good teams and some teams that may not have a single player that looks like they're destined for a high level of pros at all and so the goaltenders are sometimes behind incredibly difficult defensive structures sometimes they're behind a defensive core that is facing you know almost like a junior B team most nights and then they're the best team on the ice. And so 
moving from the cue to the pros for a goaltender can be incredibly difficult. It's not always the easiest path. And so I think that that doesn't get discussed enough when it comes to goaltenders. And so we see some of these guys come out of the QMJHL, take a few more years than expected and really frustrate the fans. You know, uh, Louis Domingue, he's one who he started off in the QMJHL, made it to the pros and took a few years longer than some of the other guys did. So I think that it's possible that Samuel Montembeau will end up being a very good goaltender at the NHL level. But I think that he just, you know, just based on where he played in juniors, I think that he might need a little bit of extra time. And I think that's perfectly fine. But if he plays as a backup this year, I think that's okay. I think if he needs to move up and down a little bit, you know, if he needs to spend some time in the A, get recalled, get reassigned, get recalled again, I think that's also perfectly fine. So your daughter thinks the same thing. It's okay. She, she kind of does. She's, I think that she's more curious about what's going on over here, but I don't know. I don't know about Springfield though. I, I, you should hear some of our discussions about Springfield. Uh, and how much uh, we are fans or lack thereof of what happens in Springfield. Um, weird players play at Springfield. Hey, always don't know truck things happen in Springfield. It's very odd. Uh, anyway, I, I want to get you out of here because we've now almost basically completed the shortest history uh, of this Y Hockey podcast, one that might be under an hour when it's all said and done, which is crazy, considering we know some of you just listened to Tommy Matt O's draft recap, which was over two hours, giving you an idea of how these podcasts sometimes work. So, Wrapping up this discussion on Spencer Knight in a bow, what do you want Panthers fans to think about him as a player, as a draft pick, as a person, and what do you want them to take away from this and now as they watch them with interest because he is a first-round pick and we all watch first-round picks with more interest than any other kind of draft pick, what do you want them to take away from this discussion on Spencer Knight about what he is, what he can be, and how he's going to grow? Uh, patience. I really think that's the biggest takeaway. Um, obviously, like you said, you know, first round draft picks, they command more interest. They command more, more excitement from the fans. They fans hope to see them sooner. They hope to see them looking better. They expect them to be top line players, but goaltenders take a little longer, not just because they take a little bit longer to develop, but because there are fewer spots for them. You know, you can't, bring a goaltender in and ease them in on the fourth line, move them up and down, you know, give them limited minutes and sheltered offensive situations. There really is no sheltered offensive deployment for a goaltender. You know, there's no way to only put them out there in easy situations. You have to put them out for the whole game. So they take a little bit longer to develop to a point where they can comfortably play at the NHL level. And that can be a little frustrating. Like you said, with the first round pick, you want to see them sooner. But staying patient for the ultimate payoff, I think, is probably the most valuable thing that Panthers fans can have. Just staying patient with the knowledge that, really, they did get one of the best goaltenders to be drafted. You know, obviously, there are some goaltenders who end up developing after their draft year. They end up becoming incredibly good players. But I think that... As an 18-year-old, he is one of the best 18-year-old goaltenders we've seen in a really long time. So I think that that's something that's worth waiting for, you know? Selling hope is something that is very stale to Florida Panthers fans. I'm just saying. It's it not can be tough. Not... It, can, it can definitely be tough. And that's it's not when, it, when it comes fault. to players. Yeah, it's not Spencer Knight's fault. And it's not, honestly, it's not 
Panthers fans' fault either. You know, it's it's one of those things where you see guys like Connor McDavid and you see guys like Austin Matthews who are able to immediately transition to the NHL game. Or or Sasha Barkov. Cannot forget Or Sasha him. Barkov. <laughs> who is the, and, who's the light and truth and all that is holy in this world. He's, he's fantastic. But he's, I mean, even he is a player who all of these young elite stars who come into the league on offense or who even come into the league on the blue line. I mean, Aaron Ekblad managed to make his NHL debut far earlier than Spencer Knight's going to be able to because you can play them with veterans and you can shelter some of their minutes. Even if you play them as a two-way forward or if you're playing them heavy defensive minutes, you can still shelter certain situations. And so that's the hardest thing to remember. And it can be frustrating because you don't want to constantly be talking yourself down. You know, you don't want to constantly be sitting there saying, I know I want to see him soon, but but he needs to wait. It's fine. It's fine. And that's not fun. But ultimately, the long-term payoff of having a goaltender that good in the system and having him cost control, that's, that's a big thing is, you know, getting this goaltender in your system where you're going to be able to sign him to an entry-level deal and you're not signing him as a free agent trying to clamor to get him or you're not having to trade other valuable pieces for him. That's That's something that's incredibly valuable. And I think as long as, you know, as long as Panthers fans remind themselves of that here and there, it's it, it should pay off in the end. And I think they're going to be really happy with him is when Spencer all is said Knight and done. Is also going to be a rare unicorn? Like, are we going to see many more? I mean, obviously, he seems like somebody who's rare. And I'll get you out of here on this because I, as always, as a Panthers fan, I am hardwired to look at the draft for next year because I'm always assuming it's going to be bad. Uh, so even though Joe Clenville's the coach, uh, are we going to see anybody like Spencer Knight coming down the pike in like maybe not just next year. I mean, I've heard maybe it's possibility, but like, is this something that you're going to see very often? Because as goaltending scouting improves, maybe it does, but are we ever going to go back to the point where we're seeing teams do crazy crap like we saw in the 2000s with drafting goalies first overall and things like, I don't know if I'll ever go back to that, but is is Spencer Knight a, a rare prospect in that almost everybody agrees he might well be a lottery pick? Uh, I think he's going to be a little bit rare. Um, I'm not entirely sure how rare he's ultimately going to be because not only is scouting getting better where teams are able to make these picks more confidently, but goaltending coaching is getting better too. And, you know, for years, goaltending didn't really have its own unique coaching and so they're getting coaches now, and they're really getting specialized training and development. And now we're also seeing them getting specialized off-ice training. We're not, we're really teaching goaltenders how to take care of their bodies and how to develop correctly. And so I think we're going to see bigger confidence, higher levels of confidence when it comes to the success of goaltenders, ultimately. And so we may see more goaltenders taken as lottery picks that we're confident with. I know that next year the European goaltending class in particular is going to be much stronger than it was this year. This year the European goaltending class was a little bit weaker next year. Uh, I know that only one Finnish goaltender was taken this year. I know that there's at least one who should be, maybe he'll be a first-round pick, maybe a second, but he's supposed to be incredibly good. There's a really good Swedish goaltender that's coming up who I think 
could probably end up being a second round pick. Uh, they're obviously going to be some North American goalies coming up. So next year should be a pretty strong class, I think. Um, but it's hard to predict with goaltenders too far beyond that. So I, I'm not sure. I mean, we, but there, I think that there's a chance that we're going to see goaltenders taken as lottery picks, maybe with a little bit more frequency in the future. And, uh, there's, I mean, there's always the possibility that we'll see more of them taken as first overall picks eventually in the future, but I don't know if we'll see it quite as frequently as we did right there in the early 2000s. I think that was, uh, I think that was excitement over goaltenders. You know, really, that was when goaltenders had radically revolutionized their style. They were starting to look drastically different. So these guys who were playing a really good butterfly game were being taken earlier because they looked so promising. Um, but I don't know if we're necessarily going to see that happen again, for, right. for lack of a more delicate way to put it. <laughs> you, could, you could put it as delicately as you want. We sometimes would be diplomatic on this podcast, and there are other times when there is no diplomacy at all, and that happens. Uh, there, as I do want to, one last, last, last thing, because I have always said, one of the other reasons why I didn't like this pick is because I'm pretty sure the Panthers could have probably traded down and taken him, or if all else fails, could have taken someone in the second or third round. Were there any other goalies that you thought, okay, I really like where they went, I like their style, I like their chances of succeeding? So this is not just to make my argument sound better, but it is also for the sake of saying it wasn't Spencer Knight or Bust this year. Uh, so there were some other goaltenders that I think the team probably – could have taken and had them pan out. I know that uh, the goaltender that the Hurricanes took actually Kachikov. Um, I he's think a Tommy Russian goaltender. I think Tommy mentioned him. I, I liked him a, a good bit, but he's he's an overage goaltender, so that's that's one well, that it's obviously. perfect for the he, Panthers. They take overagers all the time. They, they took love like it. Three of them in this draft. It's a it's a, I think it's a PCS thing. <laughs> it, it might be. It, it, it they, might be. It might legitimately be. In years, so I think it is a PCS thing. But anyway, like he, I think but, he probably. But yeah, that. he was he was good. I think that he went at right about the right spot for him. I think that he's going to end up being pretty good. Um, I I do think that the Panthers probably wanted from from what I've been hearing. I think that they wanted the defender that the Coyotes took. Um, that's what that's what I was thinking too. Everything that's what I've heard. So I think that everything I think that they gay. they they wanted him. I think there were two or three other teams that wanted him, and then the Coyotes traded up for him. So, in theory, it's possible that the Panthers could have traded down and still gotten Spencer Knight. But I know that a few other teams were also high on him. So I think that he was taken right about where he was expected to go. I figured he'd go somewhere between 13 and 16, and sure enough, that's, that's where he went, was in that 13 to 16 range. Um, I thought that if he fell at all, it wouldn't be out of the top 20. So I don't think they could have traded down very far and still managed to snag him, and I think that based on what we've been hearing, they couldn't have traded down and gotten him at all. Um, they probably could have gotten another goaltender and had them pan out. If that's ultimately the question, I think that a few of the goaltenders that were taken in this draft are potential NHL players in the future. But as a team that, like you said, they need they needed to replenish their goaltending prospect system and they needed to replenish it badly. I think that if they didn't get the defender they wanted, taking the best goaltender in the draft was a smart move for them. I, I, I certainly liked the pick for them, even if it wasn't their first choice. 
And it wasn't my first choice. And it wasn't Tommy's first choice. The texting between us on uh, on Friday night was not the happiest text exchange we've ever had. I'll say well, that. Well, luckily, I, I think you guys will like him. I think that he's definitely going to make Panthers fans I, pretty happy down I also the line, barely asked so. about him as a person, which seems terrible. Because I, I hate doing that, especially considering my background and what I think about, you know, in, in terms of hockey things outside of the ice. In terms of a person, I, I listened to a little bit of his in-goal interview, but not a lot. And the final, final question for the fourth time, what, like, what's, he, what's he like as a person? Because, you know, when you're playing in Florida, it's very different than playing in any other market, basically, except maybe Arizona, where there's almost no pressure on you except internally. There is no media scrum that's going to be going after you every day especially if you have a bad night or two. So does he have the personality that's going to jive with playing in a kind of, I wouldn't say lax environment, but a different environment than, say, if he was drafted by oh, the Flyers, for instance? Um, I think he's going to do perfectly well with that. I think that both, you know, teams like Arizona and teams like uh, like Florida and even, even some of the other teams, you know, Dallas, Tampa Bay. Carolina. Carolina, um, even even some of the other teams. I mean, the Sharks, the Cali teams. It's less so I than think I that... think. There, there's more. It's not like how it is with the Panthers, where it's George Richards, Jameson, and you it's, know, well, maybe well, me Coyotes, if I'm lucky. The Coyotes have about five or six that manage to come to to various practices and things. But I think that for goaltenders, those types of markets where things aren't ultimately. These are the markets that aren't Toronto. They aren't Philadelphia. They aren't incredibly tough on their players, no matter what they do. You know, you see the way that the way that Toronto fans class. handle things, and then to, yes, Boston. They're not Boston. Yes, no, they're not Boston. And so, and so, I think that these markets where they're not as difficult, they're not as harsh on their goaltenders. I think that. Almost every goaltender enjoys playing in those types of markets. Even if they're, like in Arizona, they have Antti Ranta. He's a very personable goaltender. He's friendly. He's outgoing. I think he works well in high-demand markets, too. Obviously, Roberto Luongo managed to handle it very well in Vancouver. Uh, But I think that every goaltender likes playing in these markets where they're not being just micromanaged and they're not being placed under a microscope at every single turn. So... I think that for hey, a goaltender and for their mental state and their psyche, I think hey, that these, mommy. he's he's she she agrees. I think with it. You. Yeah, she she agrees with me. But yeah, I think that those markets work for goaltenders across the board. So I think that he's gonna do just fine. I don't know if anybody's Roberto Luongo in terms of personality, but I mean, my hope is whatever happens with Luongo is he stays around and he can give pointers to Spencer Knight because Roberto Luongo is one of the few players, other than maybe Barkoff and Uberdo, in Panthers history that is 100% Teflon and. It's very interesting to go from Roberto Longo, perhaps to Sergei Bobrovsky, which we're all expecting, to then maybe Spencer Knight. It's it's a weird, it's a weird line when you look at Panthers goaltending history, including John Van Beesbrook. And by the way, I have to say this on the podcast: John Van Beesbrook might have done some great things for the Panthers. He has a really sketchy past, so what he says, I'm not going to take at face value. And Panthers fans, I would advise you to do the same, no matter what happened. There are some things in his past, and maybe you're more forgiving of those than I am. I just had to get that off my chest because I don't want to see John Van Beesbrook quoted 10,000 times when talking about Spencer Knight because it annoys me. Anyway, uh, Kat, I think that's the final, final question, but where can people find your work? And they should be able to find your work because if they're not reading you now, that's a shame. Uh, they, they should be able to find me if they if they find me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Katm Silverman, C-A-T-M Silverman, like Sarah. 
Um, they can find me at Angle Magazine, at The Athletic. Uh, they can find me pretty much, usually they can find me on Twitter. That's that's the easiest place to find me being funny. Or I, I think I'm funny. That's where they can find me thinking I'm funny. Certainly you're funnier um, than some of the things I see on Twitter every day. I try. But yeah, they can, they can find me. They can find me on, on Twitter at, at Kat M. Silverman, and that's where they can find most of my stuff. And ask you questions about Spencer Knight, which might yes, happen. Yes, and I, I, do, I do usually answer questions when people ask them, or at least I try to. So. Well, that's, well, that's good, because I'm sure you might now get questions from Panthers fans about goaltending. And is it going to be an interesting one? Because the Panthers goaltending is always a fascinating black hole. And uh, Lord willing, it is not that this year, but eh, I, I, I have said I wasn't a fan of this pick as opposed to others that they could have done and other things that they could have done. Obviously, I think in a vacuum, but I mean, Spencer Knight, if you're going to draft a goal, any goalie at the position where the Panthers drafted a goalie, I think Spencer Knight is probably the best option. At least that's where we have at least come to the consensus on that, whether you agree with the pick or not. So in terms of why hockey shows, there are more coming with free agency and other recaps. You wanted 20 minutes on the Tyler Pitlick trade. We're going to get it. This podcast was delayed in recording because Anton Forsberg got traded, which is an actual thing that happened. For a second time. This is the second time he's been traded. God this is the him. second time he's been traded. Maybe the first time he's delayed a podcast recording by being traded. This is true. <laughs> I listen. I it was very very well this year, Carolina, the goaltending situation, which I was not expecting to happen. I'm I'm happy for their goaltenders. I'm not entirely sure it'll happen again, but I'm happy for their uh, goaltenders. I mean, after trades like that, my joke about that was, hey, the Hurricanes get a completely widely placed draft, so they now have to have a terrible trade to balance it out. I don't understand that trade, but we'll get into more of that in future Y Hockey shows. Thank you very much, Catherine, for your time, and thank you very much for your daughter for multiple cameo appearances, which will add to the color of this show, as opposed to me uh, getting distracted by Costa Rica scoring a goal against Haiti, which is another thing that almost happened during the show, but I tried to keep my focus. Cat's the pro at that. I got to learn from her. Thank you very much uh, for listening. Again, uh, Matto and Tommy have a huge draft recap if you want to hear about all the other Panthers picks. Uh, which maybe you do, maybe you don't, after the draft that they had. No European players, and we know what Tommy thinks about that. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you again for more Merry Mint and Mirth, hopefully celebrating the signing of Sergei Bobrovsky.